Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, folks, hello and welcome to our third daily Australian Open 2021 tennis podcast. I don't know about you, David and Matt, but I feel a lot of pressure on this podcast for it to be great, frankly, because today's tennis was great. It made me feel great. It, I mean, it was just everything. It made me, it made me feel all the things that I'd forgotten how to feel yeah. um, and I don't know how to make this podcast live up to it, but um, well, we're going to, we're like, going to try. Like, it's the opposite of yesterday, isn't it? When it was a dud <laughs> yesterday and we, we did all right, I think, <laughs> but uh, you know, we, we, it was a special day one of the great Grand Slam days because, and we've just been talking about the end of it all together before we came on. But actually then when we started to just go through the day, it, it the whole what was it started at 12 local time finished midnight i mean both of those periods of 7 hours that i had two two wonderful twitterers cover for us andrew and hannah there was never a downtime moment at all yeah i mean now i feel pressure to make this podcast great <laughs> come on matt <laughs> now that you've said that but yeah i mean what a day a day that will live long in the memory i think um one that reminded us of everything tennis can be yeah absolutely i i i cried quite a lot uh during today's tennis i had a i had two screens on the go i had five live sports extra commentary as well i had david law and kyothavon commentary um and i think i'm reluctant to do this because it, it, Tennis-wise, it's not the biggest story. Nick Kyrgios winning in five sets today is not the biggest story. And I think there's a really strong argument that we shouldn't lead with Nick Kyrgios. But I I, I feel like I've got to go on instinct and feeling. And I actually, I just don't think that match was particularly about Nick Kyrgios or Ugo and Bear. They were, they were instruments in that match. They were really... Um, important instruments as was the crowd and the moment and they they gave me something today um that um that I will I think forever be grateful for that I haven't felt in in over a year or certainly a year um and David you you commented commentated on it covered it 
um, help me with words on what it was and what it meant? Well, first of all, you've just given me goosebumps. So that tells me that you've got it right in choosing this first. And as we were going through that fourth set and the the drama of the Kyrgios comeback, he was two sets to one down. He was about to go out. Umber is serving for the match at 5-4. He has two match points. And as this is unfolding and Kyrgios starts to turn that around, with the help of the crowd, it started to occur to me exactly what you've just said there, that this is not just about a tennis match and about what we're seeing here and now. This is about 12 months of what we've all been through, all of us. The lockdowns, I mean, in the cases of many, real tragedy, personal tragedy. But on our level of just missing the sport and missing real life, normal life as we are familiar with it being, and what we would have been commentating on a year ago and listening to and and frankly kind of taking for granted because that's all we've ever known is things to be okay and us to have tennis and for us to be able to enjoy these wonderful sporting occasions and feel the feelings that made us fall in love with the sport in the first place and want to all work in it. That was just a given to us. That happens. Wimbledon happens every year. It didn't happen in 2020. Um, which still, I feel like I've slightly normalized that in my mind over the last few months. I got used to it. I dealt, I sort of dealt with that in my own mind. And yet, it's, it's really quite sad, you know, to think that, that that event didn't happen, for instance, and that the US Open was played without anybody there. And Roland Garros had um, a thousand fans. These are these are things that we got used to and dealt with. And because for a start, as I said, so many more people had bigger problems than those to deal with. But those were on our level, professionally and as tennis fans, those were our problems. Um, and suddenly here we were sitting watching a match like tennis used to be. And it was really it was really moving. Um, it was really special it was really hairs on the back of the neck standing up as as I was certainly commentating and and while I was watching it I was I just sensed that there's probably a lot of people in that crowd that have felt maybe even felt at times the Australian Open shouldn't be happening and there's certainly loads and loads of people in Melbourne and in Victoria and Australia who think that who have thought should we be doing this I don't think we should be doing this you know at varying degrees and I really, really understand that. And I would have understood it if the tournament hadn't gone ahead and, and, and understand the reasons why. But there's probably a lot of people in that crowd today who just thought all those months of lockdown, they were worth it for how I feel right now because this is at least a little glimmer of light of, of what it was all for. And this is hopefully the future once we're beyond this bloody virus. I'm not crying, Matt. Gosh, David, for the second time today, you've um, you've made me very emotional. Yeah, very well said. I think, I think for me, my perspective on tennis has changed during the pandemic in a way that I think if you'd asked me 12 months ago, I would have very quickly described tennis as an escape from reality and an escape from 
everyday life in a way. Um, and I, th I think there's a certain truth to that. And it is, you know, the most important thing that doesn't matter. And, I, and there are times in life when I do still feel that about tennis. But what I've really realized is that it's actually a reflection of reality. It's a reflection of the world, the way tennis happens. And, you know, the reality of the last 12 months has been so bleak and so miserable that you've not been able to escape it. It's occupied every minute of every day, hasn't it? Every activity has been affected by COVID. And tennis, which is my favorite thing of all, has been affected by COVID. And every time it's been played, it's been like a reminder that it isn't as good as it used to be. And there have been times I've been really grateful for tennis in the last six months and parts of it I've enjoyed. And we've talked about that on the podcast. But overall, it's been diminished. And the last few months have probably been the least infused I've ever been about tennis overall. Um, and yet tonight, it was a reflection of a, of a different reality. And I don't know, I just think it offered quite a hopeful message. Um, you know, as you said, knowing that people in that stadium had been through a lot to be where they were, to be part of that atmosphere that the country had sacrificed a lot... It made me really emotional. It was really, really powerful to to watch sport like that again, tennis like that again. It was, um, yeah, it will live long in the memory. It, it really, really will. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever forget today. Mm. Anyone else want to present this? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I am glad that, that that it was a day as a whole as well because it wasn't just about that moment. That felt like the climax. It felt... It felt <laughs> Felt like tennis fighting back, you know, all of it, mm. all the players going head to head, fighting it out, showing the whole day, 12 hours worth was everything that is good about the sport. Upsets, yeah. players refusing to yield, um, being forced to yield, being overcome by nerves in tough situations and others conquering them. You know, the, it, it, it had everything. If you wanted to just sum up tennis, show them the 12 hours of today, you know, or, or the match points or the, the, the important moments. Well, help me out. Bloody great sport. <laughs> where, where should we go with those important moments? I mean, I, I got five and a half hours sleep last night and I don't even feel resentful of that fact. And I'm not mm. sure I've ever... I've ever felt that way again about less than seven hours sleep before. Yes, yeah, I mean, start at the top because, I mean, look, curious, well done, Nick, well done. But that, that's, that, that's you know, he, he's he's done his bit and he won the match. Good for him. I bloody love Hugo Umber, by the way. Yeah. What a good lad he is and a good player. Yeah. Looks like he's just got out of bed, looked in the mirror and said, yeah, that'll do as a hairstyle for the day and then gone and played his there's match. No, but there's no product, is there? No, I really like him. I really like watching him and he was, he's got a great attitude and curious, well, good for him, he came back and won. But I didn't wake up for Bianca Andreescu against Shea Suey. Nor did so, I, because I didn't go to sleep. Right, so tell me about that then, because <laughs> I have no idea what Matt went on there. attempted to wake up. Yeah, I mean, my day did not start well. <laughs> That's had a real, real roller coaster of a day. <laughs> I went to bed at 8 p.m. last night, 
hoping to get four hours sleep in. Before. Which I thought was a fantastic strategy. I was fully supportive of this. Great. At midnight, I sent a all caps message to the group saying, let's go, who's awake? <laughs> and you <laughs> didn't get any reply. Utter silence. Yes. Yeah. I'd gone to bed one hour and 20 minutes earlier. Yeah. Turns out I had set my alarm for 11.58, which was exactly what I was meant to do. To- I love the precision, mm. by the way, Matt. Yeah. The, Thank this you. is how to do waking up, David. None of this, I need an hour. <laughs> no prep. padding. No wasting. Two minutes of prep. Yeah. <laughs> Let's wait until he's 47, eh? See how long he needs then. <laughs> I set my alarm for 11.58am rather than 23.58. No one was more gutted about this than me, Matt. I think I I might have been. (laughs) (laughs) Of all members on this team, you're the one I would not think would make that Yeah, I had to live through and rescue Shay solo. Actually, I was, I, 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 um, I lived through it with Andrew, who was doing our, who was doing our Twitter at the time. Um, he not only had to uh, manage doing our Twitter, but he also had to manage replying to my um, increasingly caps-filled messages <laughs> about the match. I was so pumped for it, so pumped. Um, and I had lots of conflicting feelings because I just, I mean, Andrescu sort of became everything to me. I just, she... I don't know, she's just completely magnetic. Her personality, her tennis, I just feel like feed it all into my veins. But I also love Shay. She's such a rock star. Um, she's she's just the coolest, uh, Sue A. Shay. Um, and she, she's just this crazy marvel. I mean, I I got to the end of that tennis match and I didn't understand how she ever loses loses matches. I mean, not because Andrescu played a perfect match and there's not areas that Andrescu can be better at and will inevitably improve with more more match play, but she still would have beaten most people today, Andrescu. I mean, Sue Weishe just did not get, give her a chance, really, to grow into that match. There was a, there was a moment in the second, second set when it felt like she'd turned turn the tide and I think to her it felt like she'd turned the tide it was that moment that she's had so many times in the past um and you could see on her face the muscle memory was saying this is the moment this is the moment when you've had your back up against the wall and you change things but Sue Weishe just said no it's not no (laughs) because I'm still here I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing and that was enough because she's straight sets right Straight sets. The first time that Bianca Andreescu has lost in straight sets since Lawrence, Kansas, an ITF event in 2018. And that is an Andrew Bridges special stat. Go on, Andrew. Which deserves, oh, way, which nice deserves one, Andrew. a John Wertheim Tennis Channel shout out. I have just realised that we've all been having our own separate conversations with Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> in order for, I mean, the poor bloke, you know, how many how many things has he got to take care of? Bless in that him, he never tells any hours. of us to just go away. <laughs> um, yeah, that's an extraordinary stat. I mean, yeah, th- nearly three years since she's been in a situation where she hasn't dug herself out 
of trouble. Yeah, because there was a time, wasn't there, when none of us had seen Andrescu lose. So I, yes. I guess one one silver lining is that I've still never seen her lose in straight sets. I can I can cling to that, having missed this match. Uh, yeah, I woke up in a very dazed and confused state with it practically over. But what it did mean is I got a very raw, unadulterated reaction to the result because I had no time to... Pro- a lot, you got a lot of caps. I, I, yeah. I had no time to process any feelings. So my instant reaction, I must admit, was disappointment. It was like mm. the light that had been switched on inside me the other day after seeing Andrescu return had suddenly just been switched off. Mm. And yet I've watched the match back and... <laughs> You cannot deny Shay. I mean, just watching her play tennis is an uplifting experience. I mean, it's it's practice. Watching her do anything, <laughs> it's. I would watch her go shopping. <laughs> I really would. <laughs> but get Shay on supermarket sweep. <laughs> she is brilliant. I must say, today was the first time I ever realised she actually switches hands. I think I'd always thought she had a two-handed backhand and a two-handed forehand, but actually she's got two backhands. What, like a Jedi? Yeah. Yeah. It's sorcery. Yeah. She what really she is like a Jedi. She, and actually this was, this was particularly picked up on by Andrescu in her press conference afterwards, the way she redirects the ball, Shay, is extraordinary with basically no backswing. And her timing is ridiculous. It's a little bit Sviontek-like in that the take-back is right at the last minute. It's not that sort of LTA timing that I was always taught, which is one that sort of perfect metronomic, you take your racket back as your opponent is hitting the ball type um, balance timing. No, it's it's completely out out of... the metronomic sync. Well, well, that's because she's switching hands. Yeah, she's busy doing all sorts of <laughs> Jedi stuff. Mm. I mean, she, yeah, I, I she's a marvel. I do that just without the timing. <laughs> um, she really is. And, and her whole, the whole... I mean, she's 35 years old. 35. And yet her age isn't really talked about as a as a thing. And it definitely won't be from now on because it was mentioned in her on-court post-match interview... <laughs> And she uh, she very lightheartedly pointed out that it's completely indelicate in uh, in her culture to uh, to expose a woman's age publicly. <laughs> so, but uh, but I here I am exposing her age publicly um, because I think it makes her even more of a marvel. And yet it's sort of not because her game isn't. I don't want to say it's not physical, but it just doesn't seem like a game that will age. Mm. And it's somehow well, it's got better as she's got older. Yeah. She's she's become a much better player in the last four or five years. She's really started to beat top top players at slams. I think she's beaten Muguruza and Halep at slams before. And she's won four of her last seven versus top ten opposition at slams. Yeah, exactly. Um, sh- yeah, she. <laughs> And she seems particularly to peak at the Australian Open. Um, yeah, she's she's incredible, and I I know she will probably lose in one of the next two rounds, and I I don't understand why that will be true, <laughs> but I know it mm. to be true. Mm. Yeah, I don't know either, really. Um, but uh, on the subject of um, 
age, I'd just like to inter- interrupt this podcast to say happy birthday, Catherine. Yes. Happy birthday, happy Catherine. Birthday. Thank you. Thank you for making my birthday, David. Hey. You're well, <laughs> very welcome. You and you and Nick Kyrgios and several thousand Melburnians. Yeah, and, I, and I'm not going to mention your age. <laughs> Probably because I don't know it. <laughs> right, oh. moving on. <laughs> I'm not as sensitive about it as uh, Si Wei Shea. Good. I'm not, I mean, she's she so put him in his place, that interviewer, <laughs> that I'm not sure women's ages will ever be mentioned again in <laughs> Melbourne. Yeah, it was, I mean, there will be, yeah, on-court interviews will, will be mentioned several times, I think, in this in this podcast. Um, yeah, she look, she she was incredible, Shay, and Andreescu was incredibly generous towards her um in her post match press conference. She was she was really downcast, Andreescu, yet completely with perspective. She's mm. just desperate to play all the tennis, which I just love. She was talking about, you know, balancing her raw desire to just play every week with the knowledge that even at this young age, she needs to be conscious of her body and be managing her body. She said, look, there's no, and then there were kind of, there was kind of a flurry of panicked questions about, oh, are you feeling any niggles? Are you okay? You know, kind of, should we be wrapping you up in cotton wool type questions? She said, no, the the biggest positive from this tournament is that I feel completely fine, even in terms of recovery from my first round match, I feel she said she surprised herself with how good she felt. She said there's no specific reason to worry other than learning from past mistakes. So, yeah, I, it sounds to me like she's going to play a lot whilst also being careful, which, although I'm bummed right now and also feeling guilty about being bummed because I also love Sue Wei Shea. <laughs> um, <laughs> I generally feel positive about yeah. Bianca Andreescu and the fact that we're going to touch with see a lot of her this year. Yeah, yeah quite right. Uh, and I think I think that's the realistic perspective, isn't it? Really, if when you come into this tournament, she shouldn't be able to have a deep run, really, given how little she's had chance to play. But uh, mm. good to have her back. Mm. I think. Look, I think she could have, with a different draw, she could absolutely have, possibly not won the thing, but. Um, she she could have gone a lot deeper, but Shay can beat anyone. I really I really believe that on her day, Shay can beat anyone. Um, she just can't do it several times in the same slam, or hasn't mm. been able to until now. It's going to be very interesting. She plays Sara Rani next. Um, now Sara Rani today beat Vin- Venus Williams. This was this was the real low point of of the day. She beat her six one six love. Um, Venus rolled her ankle um, at 5-1 in the first set. I think it was the the first point of that seventh game of the set. It was it was really hideous to watch. She was she was writhing in pain. She was she screamed when it happened. It was it was instantly clear that it was bad, and you were instantly feeling well. This is this is off. Um, mm. She managed to hobble to the chair. Um, she took consecutive medical timeouts, one for her ankle and then one for her left knee, which was already strapped when she came onto the court. She was she was really tearful um, and she carried on. She didn't win another game. 
that she carried on, um, which is extraordinary. And I don't yeah. know. I mean, one part of me wants to applaud her, but the other part of me says, well, if we, if we sort of, if we applaud people for doing that, that implies that the people that would retire in that situation were sort of not worthy of applause or should be in line for the opposite of applause, which no, I would have had no negative feeling towards Venus Williams had she retired in that situation. And part of me wishes she has had, because I'm now worried about the future for her. Um, It should be, it should be mentioned that, uh, and this status from ESPN, uh, Andrew pointed out on our Twitter, Venus has retired only once in 350 previous Grand Slam matches, and that was 10 years ago at the Australian Open. Um, and we know how much Roger Federer prides himself on that never having retired um, record, and I'm sure Venus was aware of that. And look, it is admirable, but equally, it's not, not admirable to retire no, in that situation. But I think, I think you, yeah, I think you can have. I, mean, I don't think there needs to be a, a one or the other in in that regard. I, I just, I had enormous sympathy for her, but I also felt great respect for her. The way she just values, I, I felt bad for her because I, I mean, maybe she felt in slightly in denial a little bit about whether she could get through this. But the fact is, she got to the finish line, and that's. To to want to do that at the age of 40 when she's been playing the sport for 25 years and she's got all the money you need and she's got all the respect in the world because she's won all this stuff, to still want to keep going like that is just amazing, really. Um, And I just... I was personally just really impressed again, yet again, by her. Yeah, it, it was another moment with conflicting emotions because you're right it was so so distressing to see her in the pain and the shock that came when she rolled her ankle and then the tears I'm not sure whether they were through pain or just the disappointment that she knew in all likelihood she wasn't going to be able to win this match but then it I mean it almost became a metaphor for her career the way that she just soldiered on she just kept Mm. going on her own terms she just persevered displaying this grit, this champion spirit. And um, because, I mean, how many times has she been asked, when are you going to retire? Why are you still playing? And she is still playing because she loves this sport and she wants to play it on her own terms. And that was what this this match was, her, her getting through this match. Uh, she, she could barely move. And I totally agree with you. I Players who retire, we should not be criticised for that. It's a perfectly fine thing to do. But this was a a remarkable, defiant 45 minutes from Venus Williams, and I think that is worthy of, of our admiration as well. Mm. Staying with the women's side of the draw, now there's obviously one incredible headline story, which we will come on to, that's the Halep. Tom Lianovic match, but just to to deal with a few other results that that took place during the day session before that, Petra Kvitova uh, lost to Serana Kostea, uh, her first top ten win at Slam for at a Slam for nine years. Kostea, she obviously got that win over Joe Conter at the U.S. Open. Conter not not top ten at the time, but 
that was a fantastic win. She's a, she's a difficult player, Castella, to sort of place in your mind, isn't she? I don't think of her as a as a giant killer. As a oh, Castella's there in the draw. That's a that's a tricky one. I previously had thought of her as I remember her being really pumped up as a, a junior and a big prospect as she was breaking through onto the seniors. I remember. I remember her being signed by IMG and and her agent at the time really talking her up. Um, I think probably with some sort of slightly sexist stuff going along with it about her attractiveness and all of that. You know, that's a factor in in agencies' consideration of the of the prospects of particularly female tennis players and and her just her her not quite living up to all of that. Her being a, a, a a perfectly good tennis player, but one that has a very clear ceiling. Um, and now I feel like I need to readjust that, but I don't know where to readjust it to. Obviously a difficult loss for for Kvitova, obviously having reached the final a couple of years ago. Mm, well, I mean, Castell's best grandstand performance came 12 years ago in the French Open. She got to the quarterfinals in 2009. Her highest ranking was 21 in the world in 2013. So you're talking eight years ago. As you say, early 20s, 20 years old, whatever. She's just turned 30 now. or She's going to be 31 in, in April, so in a couple of months' time. It's my birthday I, today. Nothing makes me feel older than the fact that Serana Castellera is 30. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually feel that it's a really impressive kind of autumn to her career. Mm. I don't know how it's long she'll want to carry That's on That's what playing. I'm taking from this. But she's, because I think there are limitations. I mean, I've spoken to coaches in the past and former players who, who say that she sort of slashes the ball and she's a spectacular shot maker and with power. But I don't think, I've never felt from people I've spoken to that she's that, that reliable, that her game is something you can rely on. And yet here she is, getting through rounds of draws, knocking out difficult players, getting results. I think it's really impressive. She's a real fighter. Mm. I think I read a quote that she said she'd really reset her attitude to tennis during the layoff and just changed the way she looks at the sport, the way she approaches matches and just feels a lot happier, I think, on court. Um, yeah, she did actually catch my eye during the uh, lead-in tournaments. Did you see that video that was oh, going around? Of course she did, Matt. <laughs> Early adopter, Matt. No, no, not for tennis reasons. But oh. there was a video going around of her asking for the umpire to give her coach a warning because she said he was being really annoying, <laughs> talking oh, too I much. I have not seen this. Yeah, and, yes, I, and I think it might be Veljevic who's who's in the chair. And she says, you do realise that a warning for your coach is a warning for you, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> it was very and what funny. Was, what was the outcome? I don't think the coach was given a warning in the end. I think he might have just uh, stopped <laughs> doing what he was doing that was annoying Kostaya. <laughs> right. Crikey. Um, Iga Svantec, maybe concerns for her form have uh, been exaggerated both by us and herself in her own mind. She won 6264 over Camilla Georgie. Uh, she wrote on the camera afterwards, I don't know what to write, which is <laughs> just, just great, quite good. Just great. How are you? How are you 
the pre- it's like writing in a someone's birthday or leaving card at work, mm. isn't it? The pressure to be witty, <laughs> just crippling. And she's um, managed it. Yeah, yeah. Um, this this is a, a quote from from our Twitter. I think it was it was Hannah at this point that that wrote wrote this. She said, "I feel." Uh, she said uh, that Iga Swiatek is playing the kind of tennis that makes you check her draw, mm. Um, mm. which is something yeah. I hadn't really previously done with Swiatek because no. she well, wasn't I've... in my. She, she she didn't feature in my quarterfinal lineup. lineup. She plays uh, she plays Fiona Ferro next. Maybe um, she's got a bit of the uh, the Nadals in terms of talking in a way in a pre-tournament press conference that makes you completely write off her mm. chances and don't put her in the quarterfinals. And then suddenly she plays two rounds and she looks like she's just going to destroy everybody. <laughs> she I didn't see much of today, but. It's, it seems like she looked great. She said, I feel like I can play my best tennis, which is amazing for me because it doesn't happen that often, even though I just, you know, won the French Open. <laughs> which is, that's quote of the day, isn't it? <laughs> it's great. Yeah. It's great seeing that she's got her form. Uh, mm. Pretty quickly, you know, she's, I suppose she's such a natural player, just an instinctively talented player that it, when it clicks into gear i mean she's up against camilla georgie today i didn't watch the match but you can imagine the missiles coming away oh she's just beating a six two six four. there were some great sort of irreverent tweets of sort of little clips and grabs in the match going these these two need to go for their shots a bit more <laughs> it was yeah it was big time yeah she was taking georgie's power and turning it back on her it was it was seriously impressive. She is she is playing very, very well and absolutely we need to be looking at her draw. I thought that was a wonderful turn of phrase. And yeah, Fiona Farrow, who now has a clothing sponsor, I was pleased to discover today. Really? Um, who is it? It is Lacoste. So Oh, very nice. Pretty well there, I think. And yeah, I think there's a fourth round with with Halep looming and they've obviously got history at slams. Yes, Simona Halep lurking in round four. Spoiler alert, Simona Halep is still in the tournament. That is despite facing quite the battle uh, in the night session on the Yvonne Gulagong Arena. 4-6-6-4-7-5. She won through against the Australian Isla Tomljanovic, uh, who had led 5-2 in the decider. And Gyothevong, David, on your coverage, pretty pretty straightforwardly called it a choke from Tom mm. And I and I think she's right. I think as harsh as that sounds, that is that is what happened. And it it felt like one of those self fulfilling prophecies. She is known, Isla Tomlanovich, as not being a great closer. Halep knew it was maybe coming. Tom Ljanovic knew it was coming. The crowd knew it was coming. We knew it was coming. It was coming, and so it was. Yeah, I mean, I think Samantha Halep, she, she's the last player you want to be serving out against, really, because she's that sort of player who's just going to make you play every ball, and you're going to have to get over the line on your own. Um, but you're right. I mean, if you look back at the career of Ila Tamjanovic, I would say this is one of the best performances I've seen from her. She was mightily impressive. She showed me a lot more personally than I thought she got to get to that position. And she was worthy 
worthily in front 5-2 in that third set. But my mind, when she was in that position, went back to watching her at the Fed Cup final when she just froze on the mm. spot, absolutely froze. And it was just hideous to w- to witness. I-, I felt I felt mean to be watching her on that day um, exposed like that in front of everybody and unable to do anything about it. And here, well, we were exchanging messages at the time. The, the, the consensus was unless she – when she'd lost the serves, unless she broke immediately to win the match, the match was over. She was not going to be able to get back to neutral again and, and, and fight it out. It was just excruciating, I'm afraid, from her perspective. And um, I hope she can – remember the good bits to, that got her into that position but she's going to to progress in her career she's going to have to find ways to get over the line in those situations mm. yeah i mean i think it was ex- exaggerated by how tough halep is in those situations i thought tomjanovic played probably one bad game like really bad game her level dipped a little bit overall in the closing stages but it was one glaring game which i would call a choke other than that, I really do think Halep is just so tough, so difficult to put away in those moments. If she if she'd been playing someone else, she might have she might have gone over the line in a in a similarly tight match. Um, it's, it's like a it's like a hedgehog curling up into a ball, isn't it? And mm. Putting their putting their spikes out, <laughs> just the defenses. Yeah, you know, because her tennis, I agree, she's got so much more than I realized she was she was matching Halep from the back of the court and then coming up with some incredible drop shots there was her touch there was one game I, in that third set where I think she hit three clean drop shot winners against Halep who is as as we said the other day moving like a dream I, I found myself looking up Tomilanovic's doubles record to sort of try and find out where where those hands in that that touch and skill around the the full court came from. Um, yeah, she's played a, a bit of doubles like most players have, but I, I wasn't sort of surprised to find out that she has this incredible doubles background where she's been developing her her hand skills. It must, to a certain extent, be natural. It was a joy to watch. Mm, yeah, um, because I, I think she's another one. You're talking about Kostea earlier on. She's another one who was signed up very early on by Max Eisenberg. You know, he signed up Madison Keys. Max uh, signed up uh, Madison and Laura Robson and Isla Tomjanovic. Um, and, you know, she was regarded as a really great prospect. And she's had some results, don't get me wrong, but she hasn't fulfilled the potential that I think was foreseen for her. And... Um, She's still having results occasionally, but still not breaking through. And, um, yeah, she's going to have to sort that out. But from a Halep perspective, wow, what a win. What a win to come out of – to get out of jail there, you know. And she may end up – we've seen it before. We've seen Angelique Kerber win win this title when she's in that sort of position. Others have done it. Maybe she will. Well, it made me think of that Lauren Davis match Mm, that Halep played – at the Australian Open in, in 2018 when she went on to reach the final and lose out so narrowly to, to Caroline Wozniacki, 15-13 in the, in the third set, that uh, that Lauren Davis mm. match. Yeah. The, I mean, they're good for Halep, those matches. And she didn't play that much last week. You know, I, I'm not worried sort of physically about what that will, t- that will have taken out of her. I think 
think that kind of match is only good news, really, for Simona Halep. And I really, really, really am pinning all my hopes on Svantec Halep happening now. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the lo- it's happened twice at the French Open and both times it's been a blowout. The first yeah. time for Halep and the second time, obviously, for Svantec. Maybe this time we'll reach the perfect Goldilocks mm. Yeah, imagine if they both brought their their sort of dominant best from those two days. Yes, 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 yes. That needs to happen. What if they brought their rubbish worst? Well, can I tell you a match that is guaranteed to happen? Uh, Naomi Osaka against Ons Jabeur in the third round because uh, Osaka won in straight sets over Caroline Garcia in 61 minutes tonight. And I know Osaka's brilliant... But how is Karen, how is Caroline Garcia not more of a thing? How were none of us even positing the proposition that she might have challenged Osaka? I I don't well, know. I does a great disappointment. Honestly, I, I I do see it the other way. I see it that Osaka is just so good now. Yeah. That you you. But okay. Sure but so had it been chance. Garcia against. So who would it have, who who would you have said? Oh yeah, Caroline Garcia. Well, I, I just feel like there is against. a chance that Osaka is going to separate herself. Just we'll find yeah. out. We'll find yeah. out. She may end up separating herself. Yeah, I think she's that good. Um, Garcia, I think, has a bit of a problem. Just with my naked eye, I feel like she's a bit late on some of these shots that they're, they're coming through so quickly at her. And especially on this court, which is lightning fast court, mm. and she's a very deliberate player. She can give it a fair old tonk herself, but she she has to be in position to do it. And uh, she's a little bit static in in that way, I, I think. And um, I don't, look, I don't know, Catherine. I'm not sure what her potential is that we're not seeing because I, I I obviously remember commentating on her for BT Sport five years ago when she was at the WTA finals. So she's when, got when she was, that level in she'd her. She'd been to number four in the world. And, yeah. I mean, she's way not better. By she's, ac- not by accident. She's certainly way better than she's doing right now. But I also think that when I look at Osaka and I look at all the players who were in that draw in the WTA finals back then, Osaka is on another level. No, look, don't, don't get me wrong. I don't think she should be beating Osaka. She should be seeded at slams. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, certainly the potential she has in her game, she should be for sure. But yeah. I guess it's a bit like Kiki Mladenovic. If you're not yeah. seeded at slams and you keep getting tough draws, it actually becomes yeah. quite difficult to get into those seeds once you've dropped down. You've you've got to do something reasonably special to get back. Mm. Um, I mean, Osaka, to me, based on the quality of opposition she's played so far, she's blitzed them both. She is looking the best in this tournament. Um it was a bad matchup, Garcia. Hang on. Bar- Barty, Bar- Barty only points. lost ten points, There was a stat going around about how her, her opponent won ten grand for every point she won in that yeah. match. <laughs> I know, but that's why I said based on quality of opposition, right? Because sure. Pavlyuchenkova and Garcia are are several Understood. steps above, and. I think I think Hannah Wilkes used the word flatten. Yeah. Osaka's flattened them. She has not given them a, a chance. She mm. the way she can redirect the ball from the baseline off either J- wing J- is Jabir, though very different 
Well, opponents. I can't wait. You know, yeah. I can't wait to see. that. That's the beauty of Osaka's draw. I love the fact that Osaka went out there and she said, yeah, I know, I've got a really horrible draw. And yeah. I think it's really cool. I'm really looking <laughs> yeah. forward to it. Um, and, and, and one at a time, she's knocking these dominoes over. And I'm very f- interested to see now a totally different player who won't get rushed on the ball because Jabir has got such great hands and, and all the rest of it, whether she has something that can throw her off at all. Fascinated to find out. Another great thing that Osaka has said, uh, uh, this is a quote from her. The first day I was here, I was so excited because you guys get to do stuff, unlike in America. But then I felt kind of guilty. I didn't know if people were staring at me, so I just stayed in my room and watched Netflix. (laughs) Relatable. That was great. (laughs) Um, Quick quiz through other uh, women's results before we move back onto the men. Arena Sabalenka won very easily against Kazakina Muguruza won, um, as did Serena Williams against Stoyanovic. Um, she was slightly less convincing in the early stages, Serena Williams. Um, but Stoyanovic was really good and just was absolutely not into being intimidated at all. She went out there to play her game and... Um, she, yeah, she she was a credit credit to herself, Stojanovic, and for a set, for a set, and then she kind of said to Serena, "You're going to have to go through a couple of gears here." And Serena said, "Okay, I'll go through a couple of gears here." Still um, got three left, but I'll use these. Yeah, two. but good on her for saying, "Go through some gears here, Serena," mm, yeah. and that's probably going to end up being good for Serena. You know, you want to go through probably one more, one extra gear. For each round you play. Yeah, agree. Um, but yeah, she was very, very good, Serena. She plays uh, Anna Potapova. Anastasia next. Potapova, Anna, isn't it? Who, yeah. who is it? It could was maybe it? be shortened to Anna, David. Could be. I don't know her. <laughs> it could be. Uh, we're, she, we're great mates. Yeah. <laughs> she was a, I think she was a Wimbledon runner-up in the juniors Jude, or a yes. champion. I can't remember which. Um, but one of these that then made the transition and has struggled mm. to be consistent and has struggled with the pace and the power and the foundation of all the players in that top bit. But, you know, a couple of wins to get through to this stage. So, you know, progress. Mm. Yeah. Everyone agreed she's going to lose to Serena? I would have thought so. Yeah. 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 Um, it's really exciting that Serena's seemingly playing this well. I think she's really playing exciting. early stages, the the best at early on in a tournament that yeah. I've seen for a long, long time. Yeah, it's really, really, really exciting. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. 
they supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with Legends of the Game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. On the men's side of things, the the, the two big stories are uh, the Djokovic-Tiafo match, which we'll come on to in a minute, and the Nick Kyrgios uh, Ugo and Bear match, which we've touched upon a lot already. I'm perfectly prepared to touch upon it again, but we'll we'll see. Um, in terms of other stories, um, we had the five-setter between Stambarinka and Martin Fuchovic. Now, I stayed up to watch Andrescu against Shea. I also stayed up for their both their press conferences, which were delayed. So I went to sleep at Hoppus 3, at which point Stambarinka was... Two sets to love down, but a break up in the third. And I remember glancing at that scoreline and thinking, I could see something happening there. Should I stay up for it? And part of me thinks, why didn't you bloomin' well stay up for it? That would have been great. And part of me <laughs> thinks, God, you dodged a bullet there because you wouldn't have got any sleep at all if you'd stayed up for that. Because, yeah, Fuchovic went on to to win but by the absolute narrowest of margins can someone fill in the blanks for when I while I was blissfully asleep <laughs> yeah well that was more or less when I picked up the match and it was one of those matches where the lead was a hot potato they just kept giving <laughs> it back to each other Vucevic two sets up Wawrinka really started to pick up some momentum in that third set, carried it into the fourth set, was was playing brilliantly. The best I've seen Wawrinka hit his backhand in a long time. That's a, it's obviously a standout shot for Wawrinka, but I actually think in recent months it's it's been quite hit and miss for him, but it was really on today. And Fuchovic looked down and out. He played a four-setter in that first round, uh, sorry, a four-hour match in that in the first round. And he looked pretty tired, but I did have a sense that he had something left. He was sort of saving himself for the fifth. He's, he is a physical guy. He doesn't mm. usually wilt in these matches. And sure enough, he was the better player in the fifth set. He was the one creating the break points at the start of it. Wawrinka fended them off. Then Fuchovic got a break, served for the match, played a bad game. It, it dumped an overhead into the net. And then 
as I said, they were kept exchanging exchanging the lead. Then it was Wawrinka's turn to get into the lead, and he was six one up in the fifth set tiebreak, and then he was eight four up, and then he was nine six up, three consecutive match points, one after the other. Wow! The graphics said eighteen. They did. The graphics got very confused. They also said food. <laughs> they, the graphics got so carried away. They were like, this is, this is great. Just put 18, 18th match point. The graphics are drunk. Yeah. According to that match, there were 24 match points because Fuchovic apparently was on his fifth when he was on his first. Um, it was all, it was, but it sort of captured the madness of the match. <laughs> like, no, no one will notice. Yeah. Um, and I mean, Wawrinka gave a very short press conference, but he really, really regretted his his play in those last few points. He said he got tight, basically, as as um, as we were saying, I think just before we came on air, that that is a bit of a trademark of older players. Closing out matches becomes more difficult, and Wawrinka said he retreated and didn't didn't keep going for his shots in the way that he had been that had landed him in that position. Um, but I mean, a great win for Fuchovic, and he's he's a guy who is starting to get these sorts of wins at slams. He beat Medvedev at the French Open. He beat uh, Dimitrov, I think, last year. Shapovalov mm. last year as well. He's he's really started to to take some scalps at slams. Has presence, doesn't he? He has real physical presence. Mm. I mean, he is a specimen. That guy. I mean, he we're is... like. In that yeah. Well, respect. yeah, and you know, I mean, Matt's given you a fantastic, fantastic sort of technical breakdown of the match and 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 the the ups and downs. I just sort of retreat into my childhood when I used to want to watch matches like Godzilla against uh, the Incredible Hulk uh, films, you know, cartoons like that. And I look at these two, and they remind me of wrestlers. You know, they're just both huge, muscular, strong, and I almost want to see them have, have a wrestling match rather than. A tennis match uh, and they delivered as a, as a contest they really delivered and just went toe to toe for four hours plus and then it was really one of those lovely scenes at the end where Vavrinka was really magnanimous mm. and decent in defeat I'm sure all of tennis Twitter will enjoy the fact that the three of us have each pronounced Vavrinka differently <laughs> uh, moving on to names that we're Reasonably Sorry, confident of pronouncing. Novak Djokovic beat yeah. Francis Tiafo 6-3, This was a match. It was a proper match. I, I mean, I'm not saying there was any stage at which Djokovic wasn't the favourite to win it, but there were stages at which he thought Tiafo had had a chance, had an actual chance of of causing the upset, of of taking it to five. Um, Djokovic spoke after the match about the conditions being the fastest, he, fastest he'd experienced on Rod Laver Arena in, in 15 years. Um, he looked really hot and bothered to me. He looked very red in the face, Djokovic. He, you know, he doesn't play that many day session matches in, in Australia or, or anywhere really, because the box office players tend to be night session matches at the, at the hotter slams, i.e. not Wimbledon. Um, and yeah, he he looked to be hot and bothered by it to, to me in the way that Djokovic sometimes has been over the course of his career. But also this was very largely about Tiafo and this being a different Tiafo. Mm. In January, this is from a, a 
piece on the ATP website, he called the pandemic probably the best thing to ever happen in my career. And he wasn't being insensitive about the pandemic and the, the implications. He has had COVID himself. Just He was talking about the perspective that it's given him and the opportunity to to reset and assess his career and the way to maximise it. Mm. Um, and He was brilliant today. Yeah, I watched, he was. I watched virtually all of that match. Uh, and even in the first set that he lost 6-3, he was pushing Djokovic. And you could just tell mentally he was right there. And he was going to maximise himself in this match. And that's what he did. And Djokovic in that first set, that was when the sun was blazing and he was looking uncomfortable. Then Djokovic seemed to me to go into energy conservation mode and and develop that look of not being perturbed, not using excess energy, not not being animated. Some people sometimes say about him they prefer it when he when he's roaring and except he just decided i'm not going to do that i'm go- i've got to weather this storm both in terms of the conditions but also my opponent who was bringing it taking it to him and playing well enough i think that's as well as i've seen tfo play he was playing well enough to think that he could win he went out there and tried to beat Djokovic, and he won the second set fair and square on a tie break. Third set, he went down three love immediately, which is what always seems to happen in these occasions. I expected that to happen. And yet he didn't go away. He, he, he dragged himself back, got another tie break. And Djokovic was missing a lot of unforced errors on 30 all points. He had a set point at about 5-4 and he didn't take it. And these were errors... So he he wasn't at his very best, you know. He, he, at his very best, he would he would win more comfortably, you would think. But Tiafo was dragging him into deep water and making it uncomfortable. And what struck me was then when they had the row at the uh, uh, with, with all Tiafo getting all these time violations that he was getting, and he got really irrita- irritable, and he ended up losing his serve. And the moment Djokovic broke in that f- fourth set. He was a different player. I said at the time, it's like he's gone for a spa weekend suddenly because he looks, <laughs> he, he doesn't look hot and bothered anymore. He looks like he's just had some freshly pressed clothes brought out to him and he, he looks, all the stress has gone from his face and he's starting to, the ball's starting to ping off his racket in a way that it wasn't earlier. I was um, listening to that and I thought, what do you think happens at a spa weekend, David? I know, I've never Nobody been Nobody brings one. you freshly pressed clothes. Don't know, what, what, what does happen? We well, just change into you know a lovely fluffy robe. Well, that's what Djokovic and then, looked like. And then at the end of it, you change back into your 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 old clothes. Yeah, I mean, none of which like have been hot, freshly pressed. He was a hot, sweaty mess beforehand, and then suddenly you got the fluffy white. The, the, towel the fluffy white. Okay, right. You know, <laughs> not just like, like your previous clothes that have been you know put in a trouser press. Correct. Uh, okay. it, a bit like Billie Jean looks when she has that blow dry or whatever. You know. I don't know where she goes off to and gets all really nice and fluffy. She's and Djokovic never been like off that. anywhere. Oh, okay. It's just the bathroom. <laughs> anyway, Djokovic suddenly looked fantastic and Tiafo looked absolutely miffed. Uh, but it was a really good match. I think it will stand Djokovic in really good stead. Mm. I do think the speed of court thing is a concern for him, particularly as he's got Taylor Fritz next, who's a really attacking player who will come marauding at him. But I just think that this contest will do Djokovic the world of good to get his iron. Mm. Mm, I think so too. I think this is this was great news for Djokovic. Yeah, I, I echo everything you've said about Francis Tiafoe. I thought he was 
excellent today. I loved his energy and his confidence and his belief that he could cause Djokovic problems. And it, it threatened to be a perfect storm for Djokovic of opponent playing really well in conditions that he doesn't enjoy. So I agree with you as well that in the end, it's it's a good win and it can fortify him. Perhaps there, there's an edge in his voice when he talks about the speed of the court. He, mm. he's, he's clearly aware that it's not totally favourable for him. I mean, he's also aware that it can help him if he serves well. He hit 26 aces today, which I can't remember Djokovic hitting that many aces in a match. And this was only a four, four set match. That's a lot. If he can get a lot out of his serve, it will help him. But he's, he's very aware that there are some big servers looming in his section and he's going to have to be sharp to be able to deal with them. Certainly, certainly a story to keep an eye on how, uh, how Djokovic does respond to this quicker court this year. Big servers looming, but not Riley Apelka. Not quite. No. <laughs> Big fans of Riley Apelka. Disappointing news for you. He is a goner at the hands of he Taylor Fritz. He tried really hard. How tried. does Riley Apelka lose a tie break from 5 1 up? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. So, mm. Someone tell me. I mean, he's, if you haven't seen Riley Apelka, folks, he's seven foot tall and he's got the best beard in tennis and he's got this serve well, that's incredible. there aren't incredible. many beards in tennis, are there? There are loads of beards. Come there on, are, Benoit Paire and... Compared to the prevalence <laughs> of beards... Compared to the prevalence of beards in the general population, which is high, among men between the ages of 18 to 35, beard, prevalen- beard prevalence beards. in tennis is exceptionally low. They're always growing beards. They're just rubbish at them. That's why name Riley Apelka sticks some out. Beards, not Every stubble tennis beards. player. No, but they, that's what that's the thing. Their no, stubble is names. their attempt at a beard. No names. Every player, they all just let it grow, and then they're what? just like, I can't be bothered. What? No. They're trying. They're just rubbish at it. Who's tr- who's trying an actual beard? Or all, all of them. These aren't names. Look at Andy Murray. Moving on. This is Andy Murray has never never tried an actual beard. Yeah, he is trying. That's his effort. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go for two months once. You just didn't notice. <laughs> okay, Riley Apelka, David. Take that's it why. Away. I, that, that's why I, I respect Riley so much because he can. <laughs> anyway, uh, he lost right. to Taylor Fritz in five sets, and so he's not going to win the tournament. He's not going right. to beat Novak Djokovic. But I am looking forward to Fritz, as I said, a real serve and volley against. Djokovic, I'm looking for... I mean, Djokovic, let's not forget, he is the best returner in the world. So it's going to be very interesting to see that. Yeah, Taylor David, Fritz is... David, we were telling you that when you were saying that Apelka was going to beat <laughs> yes. him. Yeah. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. Taylor Fritz, very, very good. Um, I, I really liked to watch him play. He he was massively tipped a few years ago, and and for good reason, but he's never had that big win. And I, I question whether he ever will. But here you oh, go, here you go, Taylor. Got the opportunity 22. to play Novak Djokovic on a fast court. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it doesn't get much better than this. Yeah, I'll tell you. yeah. Um, what else? Throws the gauntlet well, down. You know, Denis Shapovalov beat Bernard Tomic very easily today, and he now plays Felix Auger Aliassime. Oh, excellent! It really is all about this half of the draw, isn't it? <laughs> It's superb. It's, yeah. That. It's the third time they've met in Grand Slams and the first time they've met not in the first round of the US Open. Yeah, the first one Felix had a physical issue, didn't he? Yes. I can't remember the second one. 
Shapovalov won as well. They were both mm. slightly disappointing matches. They played one at yes. a time in Madrid on clay, which Felix won. But that's a match which I think looks brilliant on paper, but hasn't hasn't delivered yet in terms of the matches they played. It, ha- it has a, a sort of unforced yeah. error fest feel to it. Mm. I'm very interested in it because, and look, this is based genuinely on no insider intel at all. Uh, but I get the impression that that bromance isn't quite as bromancy as it once was. Yeah, I've certainly and, thought that, but I must say this week they have been speaking... Bromancy. Yeah, they've, they've been speaking very highly of one another and interacting a little bit more than I've seen in recent months. But I, I, I think I agree that they're not as close as they were. But I mean... Didn't Shapovalov used to sleep in Felix Auger-Aliassime's basement? Didn't, didn't he, wasn't he sleeping there when he had that breakthrough in Montreal that year when he beat Nadal? So, I mean, sort of naturally their paths have gone in different directions since then. He can afford his own place now, Shapovalov. <laughs> That's like um, uh, Marty Fish went to live with the Roddicks, didn't he, in Florida? Did he? Oh. Early on in his development. Yeah, I think so. Either that or Andy Roddick went to sleep in Ma- Marty Fisher's family's basement. One of mm. one of those two scenarios happened. Okay. And, yeah, I, I think they're still friends. Um, yeah. We, I they're think, very good friends still, yeah. I think we've covered Nick Kyrgios. He saved too much points. Uh, mm. He's got team is the, is the, the other talking he's point, got really, team. isn't it? He's not going to beat team, is he? Be surprised. I, th- I tell you what I think will happen. I think he'll come out mega pumped up, yeah. Will Kyrgios, like he did today against Dunbarry. It'll be all business at the start. I mean, if you remember last year, he played Nadal, and he and he, he tried his heart out, and he took him to four close sets. And I could imagine probably something quite similar. Mm. Yeah, I think he's just not a good enough tennis player to beat, to beat Dominic Team over five sets, frankly. Um, not at the moment. Not not given you know the, their respective professionalism and effort. No, levels, I, I might you know? feel differently over three, but um, but over five, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. But but whereas whereas in previous Australian Opens and Slams, I felt like you know when when Nick Kyrgios has scored a sort of momentous victory like this, I felt like always felt that. Like slight choke in the back of my the the catching in your in your throat of oh but can he back it up is it all for nothing i i don't feel like that this time i feel very don't care i feel very corny type well he's given us tonight type feelings we'll always really, have tonight uh, yeah mm. that i feel like he gave us that and i know it wasn't just him I know COVID nineteen gave us tonight, and thank you very much, COVID nineteen. It's been it's been a great year, um, and the crowd gave us tonight, and David Law's commentary gave us tonight, and all of that. But um, but yeah, I feel like whatever happens against Dominic Team, I'll I'll be okay with it because I don't know sport. Sport for me is about feeling things, and he made me feel all the things. Mm. Agreed. Um, final bit of bit of business on the on the on the tennis front from today. Uh, Alexander Zverev won in straight sets over Maxime Cressy. Um, I didn't see much of that because it was happening at the same time as 
lots of other far more dramatic tennis. I think he was. I think it was pretty straightforward, uh, very convincing victory for Alexander Zverev. Um, we had a lot of things to say in the last podcast about what Alexander Zverev was wearing um, and is continuing to wear throughout this tennis podcast, um, a sort of vest top. And while I and I think we collectively very much stand by our criticism of that outfit because of the nickname that that top has the world over. Um, I very much stand by that. Our, our opinions about some of the other criticisms of that outfit have rather changed on the basis of, of a correspondence that we've received from one of our listeners, David, um, which, frankly, I just want to read out because... I agree with everything that he says, and I think all three of us do, um, and I'm completely convinced um, of the arguments made in this message, uh, and it's completely overturned um, what we what what we said, I think, in, in the previous podcast. So I'll, I'll, I'll just read out what, what he's had to say, and uh, we're really, yeah, we're really grateful for, for correspondence like this. He said, I'm a big admirer of the pod and one of your backers, received a lovely shout-out from you, um, including a fond memory of a time I introduced myself to Matt at Roland Garros after a Kuzmova match of Simon Mathieu. You know someone's a proper fan when they <laughs> headed out to watch a Kuzmova match and just so happened to bump, in, bump into Matt afterwards. Um, uh, he says, no idea if you read essays coming through the website. We absolutely do, David, but I have an admittedly minor bone to pick. I'm writing in hopes that you'll reconsider your position of talking trash about non-Rafael Nadal males, male athletes wearing tank tops. Some tennis tragic mates of mine know that I'm generally appreciative of all types of athlete bodies, men and women, and I'm a personal fan of tanks and short shorts for men as stylistic choices. I like to see the body of, body of athletes on display and don't really understand why men seem so eager to wear blankets over their biceps or knees while working out. Just a personal taste thing. Anyway, my friends brought my attention to the fact that Twitter was going crazy about Sasha Zverev's tank top and there was general feeling he didn't have the physique to pull it off. Something echoed on your show to my, again admittedly, minor disappointment. I'm actually in some disbelief about this. First, it's worth noting that Zverev is not somebody I enjoy watching and I think he is deserving of real criticism about his behaviour. In fact, I think the ATP really shamed itself by not instituting a domestic violence policy and suspending him after the accusations levied by his ex. And all of that is far more important than critique of his arms. My commentary really isn't about him. Other male players wearing tanks yesterday including Mikhail Immer and Lee Tu. Terrific story there. And I wonder if the tank top critique would be levied at these lesser known players. Perhaps the criticism of Zarev really is grounded in feelings about his character or playing style. All that said, Zverev is one of the best tennis players in the world and a high-end athlete with an incredible physique. He has a chiseled body, very little body fat and arms that show distinct musculature. But what if he didn't? What if he had long, skinny arms? What if he was a little on the heavy side? There is no questioning that he works extremely hard to support his physique and that that sort of fitness is very difficult for most adult men to acquire. My question to you is, what is the message it sends when fans or critics start saying this world-class athlete's body isn't good enough to show? I don't want to draw a false equivalence between how men and women receive feedback on their bodies or, or in our cultural climate. 
I'm just pointing out that maybe critiquing male bodies on their physical worthiness for a style feels weird to me. I don't really understand where it comes from. Or to turn it towards the positives, perhaps it would be better to celebrate all of the bodies on display. One thing I love about tennis is how it supports polymorphous body types. You have long, stretchy ectomorphs like Kevin Anderson or lean Gumby types like Djokovic or compact, wiry, taut bodies like those of Alex de Menor or David Goffin or bruising, agricultural, thick-chested Warinka or Sangrins. The diversity across gender, across body type is a big part of tennis's appeal, in my opinion. You can have a body resembling that of Serena Williams or Taylor Townsend or the Pliskova sisters or Simona Halep or Katie Bolter. And high-end athleticism aside, you can still play this beautiful game. Again, my point isn't about Zverev. He's a bit of an unwelcome distraction in many ways. The point is more that we are fans of a sport and the bodies on display aren't all the same. And to me, that's a beautiful thing. Perhaps I have a bias towards a style of less clothing. I live in Austin, Texas, and I lived in Melbourne for the past few years. And for my taste, wearing less, particularly during the hot summer days, is more. I'm not and will never be built like Zverev, but I have become a committed runner and swimmer in recent years. And I've learned that treating my body with all the care and energy I can is worthy use of my time. When I look at professional athletes and admire their skill and grace and beauty, I find much to inspire my own efforts to care for my body. And so I think athlete bodies should be admired and appreciated across the board and not shamed. And I completely agree with him. And I would like to retract what we said about um, Zverev in that outfit in relation to Nadal and others in that type of outfit. I, I still outfit. I still think there are, there is a very valid reason for him not to be wearing that, that we touched upon in the last podcast and we don't need to, to go into again. But in terms of the, the body shaming, which we absolutely didn't intend, but I'm very grateful for that perspective being brought to our attention in such an eloquent way. And I agree with everything that David has had to say there. Mm. Yeah. And it is it is such a wonderful thing and and quite a unique thing that tennis takes takes all body types, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. There's hope for us all. Well, if you've got talent. I haven't. <laughs> well, no. Some would tell you that that hard work is everything, David, and not talent. I mean, I, 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 I still think talent is but, quite significant. But David is a very hard worker. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it for rounding up the tennis from day three. Grigor Dimitrov won over Alex Bolt. Um, bless him, that was a bit of an afterthought, wasn't it? Because it was sort of after Kyrgios and after Halep, and, but it happened. He's into round number three. Um, order of play for day four... Um, which, look, we expect to be a, a bit of a lull after today. I mean, can we possibly expect it to live up to today? I I, I doubt it somehow. Um, but this is what you have in store for the inevitably disappointing day four of the Australian <laughs> Open. Daniel Collins against Karolina Pliskova is first up on the Rod Laver Arena. Which is a very good start. Very good start. I'm really interested. None of us have been lured into the Pliskova trap. 
this slam, which inevitably means she's she's going to definitely reach the quarters and probably win the thing. And she had a rubbish build-up, which, according to logic, means she'll probably win the thing. Then it is Ash Barty against Daria Gavrilova. Great. Then it is Stefano Sitsipas against Tanasi Kokinakis. This is great. What are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, it's great. I take it all back. It's great. The night session then is Coco Goff against Alina Svitolina. I mean, come on. Great. Yeah, (laughs) great. Um, And then it's Michael Moe against Rafael Nadal. Okay, well, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> Good luck, Michael. The, hey, look, I'll tell you what, it's the biggest day of his life and, you know, maybe he can come out and really put on a show. Maybe. The, my, the Yvonne Gulagong Arena, Belinda Bencic against Svetlana Kuznetsova. Then it's Sophia Kennan against Kaya Kanepi. Then it is, ooh, uh, Matteo Bertini, who had quite a day today supporting his girlfriend, Isla Tomljanovic, uh, against... Macaque? Does anyone know Macaque's first name? Nope. No. Nord is the BBC nope. Sport website. Uh, then it's Pablo Cuevas against Alex de Menor. Did anybody here know that Alex de Menor was going out with Katie Bolter? Nope. Yes. How long have you known that for, Matt? I should, I should correct myself. I've I got confirmation today, but I've long suspected. They've, been, they've been very playful on Instagram. Put it that Matt way. Is a, Matt is a real um, vigilant watcher of who likes whose Instagram posts. <laughs> yes. I have not seen any of this. I haven't heard a thing. Yeah. Uh, and then the final match on Yvonne Gulagong Arena is Jessica Pegula against Sam Stozer. Uh, on court number three, you've got Kik- uh, Kyrgios and Kokinakis playing doubles together on court three tomorrow. That could be interesting. Um, scroll, just bear with me. I'm having to do this scrolling down to the John Kane Arena thing because for some reason it comes up last. Uh, you've got Andre Rublev against Thiago Montero and at Contivate against Heather Watson and all Italian clash between Fabio Fanini and Salvatore Caruso and then Roberto Carbayas Baina against um, Daniil Medvedev. So I'd say focus on the top two courts tomorrow but it's it's a good schedule there it's a good schedule there uh david will be back on the radio from 7 a.m uk time um it'll make you cry if anything if today is anything to go by but that's no (laughs) that's no bad thing um today was a joy i hope you've i hope you felt that joy in this podcast and i hope if you got to watch some of it you felt felt that joy as well even in the even in the more difficult moments it was kind of a joy because it made you feel things that sport should make you feel um so i hope you felt that with us and we'll be back for more of it tomorrow our mascot for the fortnight is crumble hello crumble my mascot for the year is zeus we scored 40 points to get today zeus thanks very much david's is rogue you also scored some points no need to go into detail I'm on three in a row, Rogue, you know. Matt's mascot is Scalzel Mousel, also a winner today, Matt. Yeah, also three in a row. Mm. All right. Yeah, and our shout-outs, Matt, are for? They are for Lauren Vale. Oh, right, hello, Lauren. Lauren. We know Lauren, Lauren Vale. Lauren's we? all very nice, always yeah. very nice to us. Lovely. Hello, Lauren. 
Thank you, Lauren. Therefore, Kent Kimura. Oh, hello. That's a great name. Right, Kent. There is a character in Veep called Kent. Kent Davison. Brilliant name. Great. And finally, Marlin, who is just Marlin, but backer number 205. Oh, I want to be called Marlin. Presumably has that tattooed on his (laughs) chest. That is the coolest. Marlin like the fish. Cheers, Marlin. Cheers, Marlon. Thank you. Let us know if you do have your backer number tattooed across <laughs> your pectorals. Uh, Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer. Thank you, Chris. You are a top bloke. We will be back with more tennis tomorrow. We'll speak to you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 